Well, good morning. It's good to see everyone here early Saturday morning, and uh, it's a delight to be be here. I know you're always just north of us, where I'm at at the Master's University in the graduate program, and I'm always referring people, anyone who uh, needs uh, to look for a church, uh, just pointing in uh, y'all's direction. So uh, what a blessing to, to be here, and to, that the fact that God has raised up this church here in this area. And, uh, well, just a little bit about, uh, by the way, the husband book was a result of women, uh, wives, writing the publisher and saying, where are the books for husbands? <laughs> that, I'm, I'm not even joking on that one. There, at the time, there wasn't anything written but Gene Getz's book, uh, or The Disciplines of a Godly Man by Kent Hughes. But there wasn't anything for husbands. It was before Lou Priolo wrote his. And um, so the publisher asked if I would be willing to do that. And that's daunting. I mean, I'm not the exemplary husband. Uh, He ascended 2,000 years ago. Uh, Christ did. He's the exemplary husband of the church. Um, But uh, I'm I'm on my way. That's the standard. I keep working at it. And uh, But just a little bit about my background, I think might be helpful, so I'm just not a talking head. Uh, I grew up in a home, uh, godly parents, and uh, my dad was uh, first in research in pharmaceuticals, um, and then he left that to go into the ministry. And then he ended up teaching Bible and science uh, for 27 years uh, at Columbia International University. Uh, so I just grew up in a home, godly parents, three other brothers, uh, heard the gospel, uh, always growing up, and uh, I made different decisions for Jesus, but wasn't converted. And I would just uh, be at the summer camps or whatever, and I'd be making these decisions, but I, my life, I wanted to live for me. It was never a surrender total for the Lordship of Christ, and in the teen years, it was really showing up that I wanted to live for me and only me, and I wanted to get away from my parents because they were reflectors of the light of Christ. So we moved at that time down to South Carolina, and uh, there was a private boarding school in another state in North Carolina, and my parents said, you can attend that. It was part of the school, uh, the college at the time. Uh, for missionary kids, and so the Lord graciously in his providence, I was unsaved, and he put me right in a Christian boarding school with Bible classes going on in my every day, and I was rooming with a missionary kid from Argentina uh, who was a really strong believer, and it was just God's mercy and grace that he granted me repentance and faith, uh, saved at 18 at uh, the school there. Very quiet, very shy, introverted. Uh, I wouldn't speak in public. Uh, I was just absolutely terrified of people. So I thought about going into forestry, away from people. (laughs) Sit up in a tower and look for smoke. And uh, I I was seriously going in that direction. I love the outdoors uh, and camping and everything. And 
So I went, uh, my dad down at the school said, why don't you come down and get your gen ed here? It's free in the first two years, and then you can go into forestry. Uh, and it was the first two years there at that uh, Bible college that I came to the realization, obviously from the scriptures, that the only two things that are going to last here are people's souls and the word of God. And I probably ought to just invest in that rather than in what's going to burn up uh, is going to be uh, the trees, <laughs> the, the earth. So that's what I did. I went uh, Christian education major. Uh, at the end of my four years, I just knew enough of the Bible to be dangerous, and I wanted to learn more of the Bible and serve the Lord full-time in some sort of ministry. So I went on to seminary, uh, again, not wanting to speak in front of people. And then the Lord just worked on me through homiletics labs and various things and props that just said what I was struggling with was my pride. And I go, well, I haven't heard that before. I've heard low self-esteem and all the other stuff, but not pride. And that was a, a beginning point of uh, changing in my own life to be more concerned about loving people and giving them God's word uh, for the glory of God. So that's what I was doing and then started pastoring in South Carolina for seven years, and then went on staff a few years in uh, a church in Florida, and then from there went out to Grace Community Church uh, for nine years on staff. Uh, And that was uh, a growing time down there at uh, Grace Community. And at that time, I was also teaching. I went for doctoral work in biblical counseling, and I wanted to just keep learning more. I was... uh, referring people out. Uh, In seminary, we have one class on pastoral care. That's required in most every seminary. Just one class, two units, out of 98 units. And this is what you do in caring for people. Typically, the class is taught by a psychologist or psychiatrist in most seminaries. not at Master Seminary, not at Southern, but at other seminaries. That's At the seminary I was at, it was Dr. Larry Crabb. And they would just teach all of the students who are thinking about pastoral ministry, you won't know what you're doing, refer people out. Refer and defer. Just anybody has any problem, if they're trying to understand the Trinity, help them with the scripture. If they think they're a member of the Trinity, refer them. <laughs> So I, I, was, I was trying to do that. I'm, I'm pastoring, and people are having problems, and they're coming in with diagnostic codes uh, at the time. And I don't know what all those initials stand for, and so I was referring them all out, thinking I was being a faithful shepherd until um, over a period of about a year and a half, I began to wonder, why am I studying this and preaching on Sunday? If the answers to people's problems, real people with real problems, if the answers are out there, then what what am I doing every Sunday? Is God's word only good for people to be saved? But if they are having problems, we're told that the answers are out there. People who are trained with secular 
secular different psychologies. So my own faith was wavering a bit, not in the Lord, but just the confidence in Scripture. So I started to ask the people I was referring out. They all had, um, all of the psychologists, therapists, psychiatrists had fish logos at the bottom of their business cards. So I thought, oh, they're going to be, you know, praying and using Scripture and really helping them in their walk with Christ. They didn't do any of that. I started asking all the different people in my congregation. There were several that I was referring out. uh, What's going on behind closed doors? And I'm not saying every Christian counselor does that. But in that area, uh, it was regression therapy, talk therapy, hypnosis. Uh, The psychiatrists were just using meds. Do they pray with you? No. Do they read the scripture at all with you? No. What are they doing? And I was appalled uh, at what was going on behind closed doors. Many pastors don't ask what's going on. They should in the area of counseling. So then I called a good friend of mine that I served with for a few years. Uh, He was the pastor. I was associate, Randy Patton. I said, "I, I need help. And he encouraged me to get some more training, not in a book other than the Bible, but just learn the Bible better on how it applies. And it was uh, going up to Faith Church in Lafayette, Indiana, for a week of counseling training. And I, I would have traded a third of my seminary uh, training for that one week. They were talking about real problems with real people, but using biblical language and the biblical solution and the power of the Spirit of God, pointing them to Christ in the context of local churches. And I got all excited. I mean, I went back and started asking if I could meet with all the people I was referring out. And uh, that was an exciting time. And that's what kind of launched me down the avenue of how I want to do this as much as possible. Uh, passing on to others what's been passed on to me. And so it's a delight to see all of you here. I'm just going to be passing on to you, which was passed on to me. Uh, What do we have that we've not received? So uh, that's uh, the desire of my heart uh, to do that. Uh, How many of you counsel? Why aren't all your hands up? How many of you talk to other people? There you go. You all counsel. It's to what degree, right, or how good is it uh, you're talking? Are you bringing the biblical truths into your talking and speech with other people? But we are all, in a way, counselors. It's just what kind of counsel do we give? And so the fact that you are here taking your Saturday tells me, you're at a different level. You want to learn to become better skilled, better equipped to minister to God's people. And um, I want to fan that flame. Uh, that is, uh, it's parenting, it's marriage, it's all the conversations we have can be gospel-oriented conversations that we're thinking, how can, who is it I'm, who's in front of me and how do I help them? Um, what I thought I would do to begin with, uh, I want to, um, let's see here, we'll wake this up maybe. Um, 
Okay, there we go. Just a definition of biblical counseling. I don't, uh, you don't have this in your notes. I just wanted to read it. Uh, I'll just, I can't, I can't see back there. I'll just turn this way. A biblical counseling is the personal discipleship ministry of God's people to others under the oversight of God's church, dependent on the authority and sufficiency of God's word through the work of the Holy Spirit. Biblical counseling seeks to reorient disordered desires, affections, and behaviors toward a God-designed view of man, anthropology, in an effort to restore true worship of God and right fellowship with others. This is accomplished by speaking the truth in love and applying scripture to the need of the moment by comforting the suffering and calling sinners to repentance, thus working to make them mature as they abide in Jesus Christ. So that's a, an attempt. There's all kinds of different definitions of biblical counseling. Some are very simple. This one's trying to bring in the various resources that God has given us uh, I'm thrilled that you're here part of this church because, let me go to the next one. This is a, a way of thinking about a local church. And I'm so thankful for your Pastor Steve here and uh, his leadership. And even I was looking at the notes that he went over the last time in training of how to equip the others for the work of uh, the ministry and you can see this. This is Ephesians 4, 11 through 16, and it's Titus chapter 2 as well. And you can pretty much see uh, the different levels uh, where the very top would be your, your elders, pastors, who give shepherding oversight over the flock. Uh, underneath them are trained up, experienced, gifted Titus 2 individuals, women and men. They're kind of your go-to people. Often they, uh, they may lead small groups. They may teach Sunday school. Um, but they're, you're more, uh, they're not novices. Uh, they've been walking with the Lord for some time. They know the scriptures, being able to minister to. And so they'd be like that next tier uh, there below the elders. And then below them would be everyone else in the church. Uh, and at that lower level, all believers are practicing the one another's. They're all trying to help care for one another, but sometimes there's issues that come up, and you're going, well, I don't know how to help that. I was just having coffee with this brother in Starbucks, and he shared, uh, as one guy did with me, he was 39 on his sixth marriage, and having trouble with his sixth marriage. And I'm going, uh, you know, okay, what, what do you do? Uh, if you don't know, let's go up a, a level, uh, up to the sort of the Titus two level there, uh, where there's just more well-trained believers, and see if maybe one of them can help in this situation. Uh, if they get stuck in some way, let's go up to the the top level. And you can it's kind of a uh, a discipleship oriented church that's caring for its people, but just different levels. And you can see it in scripture of some of these different older men teaching the younger men, the older women teaching the younger women, that kind of model. So hopefully that's helpful just to give you kind of a a pullback at a 30,000-foot level of Ephesians 4 and Titus 2. 
And then you have this diagram in front of you. And let me just talk through this, and then I'm going to get into uh, the notes that you have. And I'm thankful for um, Pastor Steve just and the leadership inviting me up here, but also Caleb and the whole group that's put this together, uh, planned this, made the copies. Uh, for some time in teaching students, uh, different age students too, I mean, everyone from uh, college level all the way up um, coming into their master's and doctoral work. They're asking, How, what do we do when we're meeting with someone? And they start talking about some problem that they're having. What do we do? How do we, uh, what's a strategy or plan to meet with them, talk with them? And so there are certain elements that you have to deal with or it's not biblical counseling. There's just certain key uh, elements and topics that you have to address. One is you're going to have to ask questions. You don't want to answer something before you've heard it, right? Proverbs 18, 13. He who answers a matter before he hears it, to him it's folly and shame. You're, you're foolish to answer before you've actually heard heard. In a nursing school and, and pre-med, they're taught in their classes that if they gather a good historical workup on a person, just asking questions, timeline, when did things start, just getting a good family history, getting just good information, you're right 80 to 90 percent of the time in your diagnosis. Just getting good information helps you in interpreting what's happening. And, of course, we're thinking biblically about a person. So the, you have to do that. You have to gather information. You have to give hope. I was looking in the outline that Steve uh, gave uh, last time, and hope is just front and center there. People need hope or they don't go on. They don't persevere. And we're in a very difficult time in our country, in the world, where people are despairing, anxious. They need hope. They need Christ. They need the, the promises of God's word. So you have to gather information, give hope. Another thing you have to do is find out where are they at with Jesus Christ, the gospel. Where are they at with Christ? A lot of people profess faith. Doesn't mean all people are followers of Christ, and that they've repented and believed. So I, I need to find out if there's a foundation to build on. There's no other foundation laid than Christ Jesus. So I have to spend some time trying to find out where are they at in their testimony, their understanding of the gospel. Right? So that's another topic you have to deal with. Another one is their heart and the worship of their heart. And I don't think this is uh, new to you. I think most of you have heard of some of the biblical counseling in this area of what's going on in their heart. Out of their heart flow the issues of life. And the worship that goes on there and the, the fight uh, between the Spirit of God and the, our sinful flesh. Uh, there's a war going on in there, and so you can get involved in lusts and uh, lustful idolatry. So they have to understand the heart and what's going on in there. Then another thing you have to look at when you're meeting with people is, do they know how to change and grow? Even if you understand what the problem is, do you know how to change and grow? 
uh, the college I went to, a Bible college, uh, the teaching theologically was let go and let God. So I'm a new believer, and I'm surrendering, Lord, take take that away, take that lust away, take that lust away, take this issue away, take all the, I'm just laying there, this Keswick, a Keswick theology, it's a let go, let God, being passive in your walk with the Lord. And guess what? It doesn't work. (laughs) Four years of that, and you start wondering if you're even saved, if there's something else, some other answer. It was very, very, I mean, no one would talk about they're real issues because you're supposed to walk a victorious Christian life and people weren't. And that was a a very challenging time. I thought God would obey for me, but he doesn't. He will help me obey, but he won't obey for me. So we have to know, do they understand sin and guilt? Do they understand repentance? Do they understand faith, forgiveness, replacement? So many Christians are trying to break habits rather than replace them. So they're trying to say no to sin, but they're not saying yes to Christ and really pursuing him. So do they know how to change and grow? I have to cover that, or they're not going to grow uh, very well, let's put it that way. And then just really honing in on the heart, what they're wanting and thinking, and start the renewal process of renewing their mind. Those are just major topics you have to deal with as you meet with people. Uh, who are struggling with particular problems. So what I did is I said, well, how would you proceed ahead generally? I mean, there's always crises that come in, and you have to deal with that. But typically, when I'm meeting with people, this is the progression that I tend to follow. And I try to suggest to our students, try to do the same thing. So that's what you have there. The first or second time you meet with people, Get information. I don't do a lot of teaching at all in that first session. I'm trying to listen and ask questions and give hope. And some of the handouts I give and homework is I want to find more about where you stand with Christ. Because the next time we meet, I want to walk through the gospel with you. I want to know if we're talking about the same Jesus. You know there are different Jesuses out there. Uh, it's small j. There are different gospels out there. Uh, we see that in 2 Corinthians 11. Paul said there are different Jesuses, different gospels. You know, false teachers were coming in. Uh, that, we still have them. Now, I want to know if we're talking about this. Is this a, a cosmic genie in the sky that serves you and meets all your felt needs? Or uh, is it a prosperity gospel? What kind of gospel, what kind of Jesus are we talking about? So I want to find that out, and that's usually my second, third time meeting with people. I'm going to take the time, because everything builds on that foundation, their profession of faith. And then from there, I want to talk about the heart and worship of the heart, that they start understanding what's going on in their life. The bad fruit, you know, comes from a bad root, and we need to change that through the gospel of Christ uh, to a better root uh, in the scriptures and in Christ to better fruit. So that three trees kind of a, a diagram we'll look at later. Uh, then I spend a, at least a session. Do we understand sin, guilt, repentance, and faith, forgiveness, 
um, renewal, replacement. Do we understand those key elements? And then we're, we're taking an issue, they're presenting issue, and now we're going to go with that. And we find out often, as even in the notes before that some of you um, received uh, from Steve, is their presenting problem isn't always the real problem. But you better talk about the presenting problem or they won't come back. Right? If I go to my doctor and I'm going, my throat, I can't swallow, and he wants to talk about something down in my stomach, I'm going, are you going to address my throat? Now, it might not be my throat's the main issue, but if you don't say something about my throat, I'm probably going to go to a different doctor because um, I can hardly swallow, that kind of thing. You follow? So you have to talk about the presenting issue uh, or they, they won't come back. So hopefully that is somewhat helpful. It just kind of gives you a trajectory of key topics to kind of look at as you're meeting with people. So you can read through that. I'm not going to walk through every one of those uh, points there, but I wanted to at least mention, and I'm going to, as I talk about the different issues today, this morning and this afternoon, you'll see some of those pop up, like those process of change or renewing the mind, Some of these different ones will come up. The gospel, heart worship. And if there's no structure there, biblical structure, it's hard to then flesh it out uh, that a person really grows and changes. I I don't want them after uh, 6 to 10 to 12 sessions with someone, I don't want them going, I don't know what happened, but I'm just better. That is not encouraging to me. Uh, is that what they're going to tell someone else who's going through a problem? Uh, just go see so-and-so. But I don't know what happened to me, I, but I'm just better over the, so, No. I want them to know what happened, what their issue was, how to grow and change the heart, how to repent, grow in faith, because I want them to start ministering to other people. So I'm, I'm, There's no dead end in counseling with people. I want to see them change for the glory of God and help others. Okay, if we can, uh, James, if we can switch over to the other. And I'd like you just to turn, if you will, to Titus chapter 2. I know the key verse that uh, Pastor Steve used in his teaching time was Romans 15, 14. And what an excellent verse uh, about all of God's people. It says, I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able to instruct one another. What a great verse. Uh, That is the verse that J. Adams used to write his book, Competent to Counsel. Uh, Competent to instruct one another, to counsel one another. But I'm going to look at a passage that we're going to kind of build on Uh, through today. Titus chapter 2, the purpose that Titus was on that island, uh, Paul writes and says, I want you to help put things in order for the churches and set up uh, elders. And that uh, mentions that in verse 5 of chapter 1. And he goes on into chapter 2, and here's where he talks about ministry one to another. Older men in verse 2 
um, need to be this way. Then older women, in verse 3, uh, need to be this way, live this way. And they're going to teach the young women uh, to love their husbands and children. Uh, verse 6, I urge the younger men to be self-controlled. And then he goes into bond servants in verse 9. So just, this is how to live. Uh, live out your life in light of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's a little unique because the Apostle Paul usually starts with the uh, position, doctrine, and then goes to living out that doctrine. Here, he, he, it's reversed. Uh, he talks about this is how you need to live, and now he tells you why. Verse 11. And I would encourage you, you know, when you're talking about verses to memorize, 11 through 14 would be a good section to memorize. When you can't sleep at night, you get up in the morning every morning, just quote this passage. And it's all up from here. Uh, your day is going to be uh, encouraging to you just dwelling on this. This is sort of the whole gospel. It says, For the grace of God has appeared bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions. That's putting off, not putting on. And to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. So self-controlled personally, upright with other people, and godly uh, before God. And that's in this present age, which is an evil age. And we don't stop there, waiting, verse 13, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. And then he goes on to say, declare these things, exhort, rebuke with all authority, let no one disregard you. So that, that passage kind of goes back to our salvation, sanctification, and then glorification. All three are right in there. Uh, he saved us, he's training us, and he's coming back for us. And just dwelling on that truth, quoting that, meditating on it, uh, is so encouraging. Um, I just can't tell you how much. It's fun, you can't sleep. And um, or you get up early before you, your feet hit the, the floor, you just go over that passage in your mind, pray it, thank God for it. Um, but it's an excellent um, section of Scripture that we're going to be looking at parts of it through the day. So this is a, a counseling case study here. Um, this was a key couple in the church. They were key in ministry. Both were very active in ministry. He headed up a ministry, one of the uh, ministries. And so here they are. They say, can we come talk with you? And I said, sure. So they sit down, and this is what comes out of their mouths. Joe and Susan come for counseling, their inability to resolve a major conflict in their marriage. Joe begins by saying, God is leading us to move to another area of the country for a job change, but Susan 
is unwilling to follow me. Now, I know that Ephesians 5 says I'm the head, and Susan is supposed to submit to me, right? You don't answer that question. <laughs> that's, that's a trap. They have more to say, so you just say, go on. That's what you do. Go on. <laughs> Susan interrupted. Joe doesn't have to move. He just wants a job change that's close to his relatives, but we're settled here. The kids don't want to go anywhere. They have their friends, and I have my church friends. He makes so many foolish decisions without my input and then expects me to reap the tragic consequences. Uh, there's a timeline here. This didn't just happen. He makes so many. Well, there's a, there's a history. This has been going on for some time. I remember Dr. MacArthur saying, rarely ever is there a blowout in anyone's life. It's usually a slow leak. Uh, that just stuck with me. Or those who fall don't fall far. You know, but just a, there's always a slow leak. Uh, you can see it there. It's been going on for some time. She continues, I know that Ephesians 5 also says he is supposed to love me like Christ loves the church, right? <laughs> Go on. Uh, somewhere I believe it says that he is supposed to live with me in an understanding way. Well, I've had it. Enough is enough. Joe replies, I'm going. And if she doesn't follow me, her God-ordained head, he had to get that in there, <laughs> then I guess you all the church will just have to church discipline her like Matthew 18 says to do. <laughs> they stop talking and they're, help them. I almost wish we had the time to just go, go ahead, just think through. What, what would you say to them? He's a key, key leader over a ministry. She's very involved in ladies' ministry. And, and they're not joking. They're not smiling. This isn't a, you know, caught you, get you, you know. No, this is where they're at. Uh, and they're both very serious about this. So when you're thinking about something like this, uh, I like to do troubleshooting. I wish I was better at it in various areas, but troubleshooting. So let's go to Ephesians, right? Let's just, they're, they're, uh, they're having a sword fight. A lot of you grew up with sword drills. This is a sword fight. And finally, he pulls the Matthew 18 on her. You know, and that's like the, where do you go from there? So Matthew 5, going back and forth with each other. He's supposed to love me. She's supposed to submit Matthew chapter 5, and primarily verses 21 is the header, main verb, and then it goes down who submits to who. Troubleshooting is how's it going for the loving leadership and the willing submission with Joe and Susan? How's it going? It's not. It's not. Matter of fact, he did leave her, uh, and he didn't come back. And she didn't go with him. And uh, our church ended up doing church discipline on him. Uh, he, he abandoned his wife and kids. Actually, worse than an unbeliever. But that's, I got you, the, the end. So you're going, what, whatever happened to the, them? Well, uh, I'll tell you more in a minute. The troubleshooting is, if it's not going well, 
in chapter 5, verses 21 and following, guess where the problem might lie? Before chapter 5, verses 21 following, right? I mean, have you ever put together anything from Best Buy that comes all in a box with 100 pieces and a whole manual? You don't jump to frame 5 and start building. Do you follow that? It's supposed to go from chapter 1 to 2 to 3, 4, 5, just like in the scripture. That's why you have to watch in counseling that you, you counsel from the context, not just go in and pick out a verse. So if I were to say to him, listen, you need to love her and you need to submit to him, they know that. And it's not working. Because the manifestations of that kind of love and that kind of willing submission come from being filled with the Spirit in verse 18. And they're not there either. They're not controlled by the Spirit of God. Neither one of them. And so I just start troubleshooting, go back, chapter 5, go to the very beginning. Are they loving each other as Christ loved the church? That's chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. How's that love sacrificially, that sacrificial kind of love going with it? Not very good. And then I go to chapter 4. There are things to put off and things to put on. Well, they're practicing the things to put off. They're bitter. They're angry. Uh, There was some deceit going on. There there was anger that wasn't resolved, letting the sun go down. I mean, there's just, you start going up and going, look at this. Chapter 4, verses 1 and 2 walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you've been called, with all humility and gentleness. How's that going? That's not there either. They're not bearing with one another. And I just kept moving. You know, they're not even thinking about the church that's mentioned even in chapter 3. They're, they're not thinking, how is that going to affect the church? He was over a ministry. How's that going to go? They weren't thinking of the body. And so I'm thinking, wow, there's uh, wonder wondering here about uh, their calling uh, in salvation now. So I'm back in chapter 2 about who we once were and then what God did for us through Jesus Christ. And I asked her, would you mind giving me your testimony? And she did. It was a very orthodox testimony, but her head was down. She, was, uh, she just knew she wasn't living that out. So there was some sorrow and some shame associated with how she's been living and had it with him. So I thanked her, and then I asked him if he would share his testimony. He said, why would I need to do that? I'm asking you. uh, I'm an elder. I'm, you know, you're under the ministry where I'm overseeing. Um, Would you not want to share your testimony? And he said, the problem is not with me at all. It's with her. And I'm well, I could get your, what you filled out in your membership file, but would you just please just share uh, how you think you're a Christian, uh, why you think you're a Christian, how you became a, a Christian. Could you do it? He said, no, and I've had it, 
And he got up and he walked out. Um, wow. I, um, I was a bit stunned. Uh, he didn't come back. He didn't even come back to church. And so that was his steps of departure. Uh, it was right at the end of 1999. He thought the world was going to come to an end. He was on a survivalist group. Um, and he was going to leave. He did leave his wife and kids and took off. Where I was going, if he had given me a, an orthodox testimony, is I was heading for chapter 1. And chapter 1 kind of takes us on a recalibration of our heart's worship compass. It's what's true north. What am I really living for? And you can see if that's right, and I'm in Christ, and I'm thinking about the body of Christ, and now I walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, humble before the gospel of Christ, you can just see where where that goes. If I'm living what it says in the book of Ephesians, or you could do Colossians, same thing. Then I get to being controlled by the Spirit and say, you know, it's hard in the relationship, but I want to glorify God. Uh, it's not about me. It's about Christ, and it's about loving others sacrificially. How do I love her? And, and she, how do I love him properly? And it's hard. Can you help us? But we want to glorify God. That's chapter 1. And troubleshooting is what I call it just because you start where you're at and you move back. Uh, when we moved to uh, Kentucky for 10 years, uh, we bought a, an older home, and the microwave sometimes came on, sometimes didn't. And it was built into the oven area. And I'd just shake it a little bit, and it would stay on. I, okay, <laughs> that's what I need to do. And then finally, it wouldn't, wouldn't come on even if I shook it. I'm, I'm looking underneath. Where... How do you even fix this thing? Uh, what's, uh, I'm, I can do more damage if I try to do certain things. So I, I called an electrician. I said, I, maybe he can just tell me if you have to get a new oven or if he can fix it somehow. He came out. He goes, well, tell me what it was doing. I told him. He said, well, let's just start. We'll start at the beginning here. Uh, troubleshooting. So you opened up the top cabinet on top of the stove. I didn't even know what was up there. I mean, I, I stay out of the kitchen most of the time. I, what's up there? And I'm standing back in the kitchen, and he opens up that drawer, and uh, the cabinet door, and there was the electrical plug hanging. That's where the plug is? The microwave's down here. The plug's way up there. So he plugs it in, microwave comes on. I didn't even want to tell him I was educated at all. <laughs> I just uh, I was embarrassed. But you get, the, you get the, the point there. Troubleshooting, if it's not going well in a particular portion, when they describe their life, you go, well, that's right there in marriage. Or parenting, chapter 6, just start moving backward. What are we dealing with? Where, where does it need to be plugged in and corrected? And for most people, chapter 1 is where the correction's needed. Sometimes it's a hard reset. Sometimes it's a soft one. For some people, they've never even thought about God's glory. So let's, let's kind of walk through that. Um, 
there in your notes. And what I want to do is I'm going to go rather quickly through some of these. I'm going to highlight different points uh, because there's no way I'm going to cover all that material. What I wanted to do, and I uh, got Steve's permission on this, is sending you a lot more than I'm going to cover, but it gives you the context. So you go, oh, I want to know more about the heart. You've got a lot there. I want to know more about the change process. There's a lot there. So I'm going to highlight different things as we go through on ministering to one another and, and people that God brings into our life. But this one is like standard operating procedure. If the true north of their heart's compass is not God's glory, it's not going to go well. Man's chief end is what? To glorify God and to enjoy him forever. If if that's not front and center, it's, you can't live out chapter 2, 3, 4, 5, 6. You just can't. It won't go well. And so it's right at the beginning, Ephesians chapter 1. So let's just follow along as I just read this sentence. Uh, chapter 1 of Ephesians. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will. Key verse here, key part, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the Beloved. So it's going from the Father, moving to the Son now. In him, that is in Christ, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our sins, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him, we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. Another key phrase, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. Now we're on to the third member of the Trinity, And a key verse coming up, verse 14, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. So three times a statement about the Father to the praise of his glory, to the praise of Christ's glory, to the praise of the Holy Spirit's glory. Very, very important that we understand God's glory. So on your notes you can see two aspects of God's glory. Uh, you have The word glory means weighty. Weighty. God is weighty. It's the sum of his character, his, all of his attributes, who he is. He is a heavyweight. God's glory, weighty, and it also can then uh, be used to refer to like honor and respect and reverence as well. But... Uh, Sometimes it's about the glory of man, 
but uh, mostly the, the weightiness, the honor there. But God is a heavyweight. He's perfect in all of his uh, characteristics. Uh, one historian said, in our land today, in the United States, uh, there is a weightlessness of God in the land. Uh, God's a lightweight in the land, and man is the heavyweight. It's man-centered, not God-centered. And it needs to, to turn in our lives. So you have two aspects of God's glory, and you have listed there. Um, you have intrinsic glory. God is in and of, of himself uh, perfection. And you see it, boy, if he, you know, his light, uh, the Shekinah glory, he, he just intrinsically is perfect in every way. Uh, so he has glory intrinsically. It belongs to him alone, and we see it. Uh, we're able to see it, and you have some ways that we see it in creation. You see it in God's providence, and especially you see it in redemption, uh, and what he's accomplished. But in and of himself, intrinsically, he's, he's glorious. But then, secondly, we are... Uh, ascribe to him glory. We are to ascribe to him glory. And those would be verses, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. We're supposed to do certain things, live a certain way that brings him glory, do his name. So we ascribe to him glory because he deserves it. So two aspects there of uh, glory so you have intrinsic and ascriptive. And a lot of you know this is just review um, in your studying of uh, theology. Number two, we must understand why we all need to glorify God with our lives. One, because of who he is. Uh, when you go uh, write character of God, well, let me go back because I think you have you, no, you don't have anything to write in there. Wrong views of God hinder us from giving him glory. Wrong views hinder us from giving glory. So what, what would you think we would need to do if we're counseling people and God's glory is not front and center? What do you think we would need to do? What kind of homework assignments are we going to be giving them if man is big and God is small? We're going to want them in Scripture specifically studying the character of God, the attributes of God. They, they need to see God high and lifted up. As the psalmist in Psalm 99 said, you exalt the Lord and then you worship at his footstool. He's high and lifted up and you worship at his footstool. So I have a running assignment, especially around the uh, third or fourth session on they are studying an attribute of God per week. Just standing homework procedure. Uh, there are other issues going on in their life. I get that. But they have got to know and understand who God is. Because that leads to a reverence of God, that leads to a love of God, that then leads to trust and obey the Lord. If you don't know and understand who he is, who wants to trust someone you don't know? 
So part of this God's glory is they need to understand, to know and understand the Lord. Even Paul prayed that, oh, that I may know, know you, you know, right? The, um, know him, the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his suffering. He wanted to know the Lord. And the Lord tells us in Jeremiah 9, he delights in that, to know and understand him, to boast in that. So wrong views hinder. Uh, this uh, is a little description here that uh, if I have any slides and you go, we don't have that anywhere, uh, I can leave that, you know, and you can be able to copy it, whatever, however can help you. This is typically what happens um, when you have a wrong view of God. Uh, Troubles going on in your life. You're neglecting scripture, either reading it or meditating on it. You're not looking at the God of the Bible. You're not saying this is who he says he is. You're looking through difficulty, circumstances, and you're looking up, and God looks distorted. And you'll hear that with people. You know, God's just angry with me, and he's just this, and he's like that, and he doesn't want uh, my good. He, he's, and the way they describe him is it's not the God of the Bible. Jeremiah, if you want to, uh, I think I put that there, Jeremiah, I mean, Lamentations 3, Jeremiah's describing God, and it doesn't, it's nothing like God. And he was a prophet. He says, he's a bear. He's a lion waiting to pounce on me. He's, he's shooting arrows at me. I'm the target. Uh, I mean, the way he's describing God, you wouldn't even want to get close to that God. He goes, finally, he says, down in verse 18 or so, he says, I have no hope. I've lost hope. Now, you just saw Babylon come in, take Judah away, destroy Jerusalem, destroy the temple. I mean, he just saw a lot of devastation. So difficult circumstances, but he describes God, and it is not the God of the Bible. He's just being honest. That's what God seems like to me. And he says, I have no hope. And then he turns, because right views of God encourage us to give him glory, right? Right views, you have that, I think, there. Uh, well, maybe you don't. Uh, right views of God encourage us to give him glory. And he turns, verse 21 of chapter 3, he says, I, I recall to mind, and therefore I have hope. What just happened there? The word recall is a Hebrew word that means to return. I returned to truths about God, and now I have hope. And he starts to tell you what he's meditating on. The Lord's mercies are new every morning. God is faithful. That's because that's who God says he is. So Jeremiah went back to the Torah. He's going back, and he's going This is who God says he is, and he's rehearsing it now. He says, now I have hope. It sounds like two different people. No, it's it's perspective. He he wasn't dwelling on the truth about God and the word, and now he's lost hope. God's distorted or not even in his thinking. 
But once you start to dwell on who God is, and it would look like this, now he's looking at who God says he is in the word. Still the, the trouble. Trouble doesn't go away. But now he has hope. And so he's encouraged. I've used that passage in Lamentations 3 various times. People who are depressed. I said, does, it sound, does this sound like, I mean, you just told me a lot of things about your life. You're a professing Christian uh, follower of the Lord. I'm going to read you something that sounds like you ju- what you just told me. I, I, I just read Lamentations 3 up to verse 21. And I'm some weeping. Yes, that's what it feels, it feels like. You know, God's against me. He doesn't hear me. Uh, he, he's pouncing on me. That kind of language. You go, yeah, well, that was a prophet. He thought the same thing. Really? And then let's, let's make the turn. Let's make the turn. But this can be very helpful for people uh, whose perspective is off. Anxiety and fear, you'll find the same thing. Anxious and fearful people usually aren't thinking about God. They're certainly not thinking about his faithfulness. But you hear someone worrying. They're not going, I just wonder what God's going to do on this situation. I wonder what God's going to do. You don't hear God in their speech. I wonder what's going to happen about the, the government and the, the countries and Russia. I, I just wonder what's going to happen. I wonder. They're worrying, but God's not in their thoughts. So it's bringing God into their thinking correctly, and then they can have hope, especially in, in his faithfulness. God is all of the attributes, all at, every time, all, all at the same time. So that's a, we need right views of God. Now let me keep going and I'll just go uh, rather quickly here. Because of what God has done is why we give him glory. Uh, what he has done, is doing, and will do. I read in second, um, Titus chapter 2, a salvation, he's training us, sanctifying us, and he's coming back and will be glorified, either through death or Uh, the rapture. So God is at work. Thirdly, we were all created to give him glory. Isaiah 43, 7, everyone who's called by my name, whom I called for my glory, whom I formed and made. So he created, I'm sorry, whom I created for my glory. Romans 1, we exchange the glory uh, those unbelievers exchange the, the glory of God to worship and serve the creature rather than the creator. But it's all about God's glory. So we were created to give him glory, not to live for ourselves. Psalm 115, verse 1. And God expects it exclusively, and we will answer to him. He expects to get glory from him, through him, and to him belong all things. To him be the glory forever. One king took glory for himself, and God killed him. In Acts chapter 12, King Herod gives a speech. The people said the voice of a God, not a man. And then it says, and God killed him because he did not give glory to God. So even unbelievers should say, well, if there's anything good, any ability that I, if I gave a good speech or if 
I'm able to provide for you people in some way. That's just God. Unbelievers should do that. How much more we should as followers of Christ. So he expects it exclusively. And this is spiritual north on our heart's compass, right? This is spiritual north in our heart's compass. Number three, we must grasp that in our present situation, it's most important that we glorify God. He expects it. It affects how we live day in and day out. I think you have all this in your notes. And then to recognize what might be standing in the way. What might be standing in the way of me giving God the glory. It may be a temporal perspective. I'm all focused on what to eat, drink, and wear. Maybe not a whole lot different than the disciples in Matthew 6, right? They were all focused on what they're going to eat, drink, and wear. And Jesus brings the Father into the conversation. Uh, he brings in, look at what the Father does in caring for the birds. Look what the, look, bring God into your thoughts and get your thoughts on eternity, on the eternal. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. So it may be a temporal perspective, maybe, secondly there, other life agendas. Sometimes what we want, our thinking is not uh, what the Lord wants. We might be worshiping some other desires alongside of our worship of the Lord's, of course, a syncretistic kind of worship. Maybe the consuming desire or expectation is to be removed from trials. Then maybe that's the problem. I keep praying for deliverance, and God keeps saying, no, it's dependence. 2 Corinthians 12, uh, Apostle Paul, get this thorn out of here. No. My grace is sufficient. It's dependence. You want deliverance? No. It's, de- it's dependence. Maybe it's a lack of just true salvation regeneration. Well, that'll be a hindrance. A person just living for themselves. They have the name of a Christian, but no true conversion. Maybe it's unconfessed sin. Uh, I'm going to just go through um, on to let her see the consuming desire or expectation be removed. I think I have that. Okay. Uh, unconfessed sin. Gospel truths. Where am I? G. Omission of seeking after the one and true God. This is the uh, chart I think you have on page four. So it's at the end, right? You have um, this is typically when I'm counseling someone, I want them to get there. That's sort of my goal. Uh, I, I want them to get to the place where they trust and obey the Lord with delight. Don't we all want that for our own lives and people around us that, that know the Lord? I want you to trust him and obey him with delight. But it's a process of getting there. Uh, and I'm so appreciative of not only the, uh, obviously, the most important are scriptures, but a lot of the uh, Puritans who would write on this that, you can have trouble trusting and obeying him with delight if you don't know and understand him. And you won't have a high view of God, a reverence of him, unless you get to know and understand him. 
And once you understand who he is and what he has done for us and what we deserve, you love him. You're humbled by that. The gospel humbles you. And, and you, you just, thank you, Lord. I love you. Thank you for saving me, for giving me of all my sins. And now I want to trust and obey you with delight. It's like a progression. So in our counseling, remember that. Don't just keep going after trust and obey and they don't know the God that they're supposed to trust and obey very well. And they may be thinking of him differently than the scripture portrays him. So all of this is just a part of the assignments that you give someone. I want you to get to know and understand him. I remember one guy struggling uh, with pornography, a student in seminary, and he said, you know, when my wife leaves and then I'm uh, all alone, I get on the Internet. Now, if I gave him a test, a theology test, on the omnipresence of God, I bet you he would ace it. I bet you he would have aced it. But never put it together. So that was my assignment. I want you to understand, read all these passages on the omnipresence of God. And I can use some supplemental books as well that may have a chapter on the omnipresence of God. And then I want you to think through what does the scripture say. And then I want you to write an application every day that that attribute, how, how understanding God and who he is, what difference does that make in your life that day? Come back and tell me about the omnipresence of God. And he came back and said, wow, <laughs> I'm never alone. Yeah, that's right. You're never alone. And when the lights are dark, it's light to him. So I had him going through Psalm 139. Where can I go from the presence of God? Well, that, I'm all for uh, apps on your phone and um, resources, you know, where you might go on the Internet. But more than that is I want the person to know and love the Lord that they don't want to sin against him. And, oh, by the way, I'm making no provision for my sin, and I've set up some, some guards uh, not to go down there. That's right. But let's, let's get first things first here and not just police people. But uh, what, a, what a joy to hear him say, wow, what a difference. And all that training he had, he just hadn't made connections to his life, which I think we're all there. We know more than we live out. I think we could all say yes to that. So you have here, we must know that there are many ways for us to glorify God. And we want to do this practically uh, in the things from our heart uh, to glorify God, what we want, what we seek, what we think, with our lips, what we say, and with the choices we make into our behavior. And that's whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all to ascribe God the glory due his name. We're imperfect and reflecting the glory of God as we should, but hopefully it's more today than yesterday, more tomorrow than today. 
Now, breaking it down, uh, let's go back there. There are many ways to bring glory to God. And you have the list there, so I can flip through these. This is taken from Dr. MacArthur's commentary. Look at all the ways to bring God glory that this scripture talks about. When we rejoice in the Lord, when we praise him, when we obey him, (coughs) when we give sacrificially, when we're seeking unity among believers, we're spreading the gospel. There are so many ways to bring glory to God. And this is ascribing him the glory reflecting. Dr. John Frame says we glorify God when we reflect, we image him. People see uh, the character of God in our life or see Christ in our life. That is what we're after. We want people to see Jesus in our lives and to live in that way that brings him the glory. So you have all the different ways there, serving God's people. I mean, there's just so many. Um, uh, So reflecting his communicable attributes, the ones that we can reflect. I can't reflect his omnipresence. I'm just one place at one time. Uh, But I can reflect his goodness and be good to other people. Forgive, give and forgive. I can reflect his mercy by being merciful to people. And pe- but if someone says to you, you're so nice or you're so good or you're so loving or anything like that, and you're hearing, that's God. Th- that's who he is. Be sure to give glory to him and don't take it yourself. Don't say, well, thank you very much. That's what Herod did, and he died, (laughs) was killed. You can say to people, if they see Christ in you or any of these communicable attributes imaged in you, you can say, thank you for your encouraging words. We're to encourage one another. Thank you for your encouraging words. But I thank God that he's at work, and, and you see him and me. Pass that on from him, through him, and to him belong all things. To him be the glory forever. Don't take it. Don't trespass in his territory. Now, we must generally get focused, and that's just the spiritual disciplines. Uh, Generally focused on God's glory, where we're lining up in in the word of God, in prayer, fellowship with God's people. Specifically, just think through ways that you might be eclipsing his glory where I want what I want, or just ways. And just talk to the people that you're ministering to. What ways might you be reflecting God's glory? What ways might you be eclipsing his glory? They see you. They don't see Jesus. What ways might that be? And try to get as specific as you can. We sin specifically. We change specifically. And then here are some things that you can do, some homework We can find scriptures to study and respond to the gospel truths. I'm usually looking for one passage or two for them to work through during the week that pertains to, one, getting to know the Lord and dealing with the issue they're presenting. We can read books and booklets uh, as supplemental. Books and booklets go in the back seat. The Bible stays in the front. Don't, don't turn those around. Um, 
I don't go through books with people as, and we don't use the scripture. Uh-uh. The scripture's front and center. The, the, any other books, with a lot of good books, are supplemental. And if I do go to supplemental books, we're looking at the scriptures in the supplemental books. It's God using his word to change us, not what people might say. And then develop a running list of God's attributes. That's so encouraging to see who our God is. There are at least 30-plus various aspects of who God is, his character. And we can talk later, maybe at Q&A, of different books on the attributes of God. But just making a list of ways that they might be eclipsing God's glory. Let's see here. And then just specific ways that they can um, reflect God's glory, what major uh, lusts are surfacing up, and we'll talk more about that in the remaining sessions, and then just meditating on the scripture. Now, I know I've kind of went over the time for the first session. I wanted to give you some background there. For if Joe had stayed and given me a testimony and said, I want help. <laughs> All right. I, mean, I have to kind of go back because that's not what happened. We ended up really helping her. I mean, she had a lot to deal with, abandonment, and the church wrapped around her and the children and cared for them. Uh, but had he uh, been a believer and said, um, well, I've not been living for the glory of God. Wow, we both need our our hearts, compass, calibrated right. Okay, now we do that, and then we start going back through the passages, get back to Ephesians 5. It wouldn't be in the next session, but we'd be heading back there to then talk about uh, marriage. So if you can just bring up that, um, I don't know, it was James back there? Oh, there you are. Uh, the basic principles of marriage, which is that next uh, set of notes. I'm not going to walk through all of this, but I just wanted you to see this is where I would be going with Joe and Susan. Uh, had they professed faith in Christ, I mean, and, and were uh, wanting to live out, how do we get along? How do we work through things? So it would be, uh, well, the preeminence of marriage is going to be uh, God's glory and the person of Christ. Christ is going to be preeminent in all things. So they get that right. Then it goes to the purposes of marriage, and, and you have these. Do they even understand what marriage, what God intended for marriage to be? And it was companionship. Now they were at odds with one another, fighting with one another, couldn't stand one another. Uh, it's for companionship. Uh, a one flesh relationship. Also, she was designed by God to be a helper to him. Now, he was off in his own little world, but she was there to help him. How could she be a helper to him? God didn't create Adam for Eve. He created Eve for Adam, both in the image of God. But 1 Corinthians bears that out again. Um, so just being that they understand the roles, purposes of marriage. Uh, 
they were designed by God in their marriage to represent Christ in the church, which is woven all the way through Ephesians 5. He's supposed to be that loving leader, not a domineering lorded over. He's to be a loving leader. She is to be willingly submitting to him, but characterizing Christ and the church. And a sexual union uh, made one flesh for two purposes, pleasing the other spouse and procreation. And then how to be used by God for ministry and fruitfulness. So I would want to be helping them. Do you want to understand what the purposes of marriage are? And leaving and cleaving and becoming one flesh. And then I would just take them through the rest of some of the key points of the notes that you have. I'm not going to do that. You have them. But it's a context of marriage. There's a lot to marriage. It's not just go pick out Genesis 2, a verse there. But look at, look at marriage. It's a wonderful, blessed union in Christ. I mean, being in Christ and then one with Christ and one with your spouse. What a blessed institution of marriage. And, but they weren't ready for that. They weren't even ready to talk about marriage without their heart's compass calibrated towards God's glory. Found that? Hopefully that's helpful. And anyone that you talk with, they want to jump in, fix this, fix that, and you go, oh, no, I think we need to do a little troubleshooting. And let's start with God's glory. Okay? Um, do we take a break now, Caleb? Do that? All right, we have a 15-minute break and come back, and we're going to talk about communication and conflict resolution uh, in the relationships.